all this documentation, this is part of the e-form Correct. though? Is, yeah, all okay. of that has to be completed and then uploaded. Not only completed, but some of it actually has to get printed off, signed physically. Then I have to scan it back in and then upload it. All right, what is up, everybody? Jim to my right, Jim. Glad to have you back. It's Thank always you. it's always a pleasure when when we get to podcast when we get to podcast together these days. We've got Larry across from us. Now, if you follow the podcast at all, you know how uh, technologically advanced I am. How much I love computers. We're going to talk today about e-forms. E-forms. I'd say probably specifically for suppressors, but these are essentially ATF e-forms, kind of a, a hot topic today. A, a lot of people are talking about it. It's supposed to speed things up a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, even though we're talking about e-forms, I've got, I still got my, uh, still got my paper forms here, Jim. <laughs> hey, Mark, you will always live in the paper realm. I, I keep the paper companies in business. So I think you do. We've got some of those in Wisconsin. They appreciate me. I bet they do. I mean, I, I like to think that they appreciate me, but. Uh, they this this is a, a lot of people are talking about these de- these days. Um, uh, Larry, that's why we have you here though, because has Larry been on before? No, nope. first appearance. That's exciting. I know we got a first timer here. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Larry, can you tell people yeah. what it is that you do? That's what's going to be my next thing. Man, I know. I just figured I'd assist. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so big umbrella. Uh, I'm the firearms manager for Vortex Optics, so that means I take care of all the firearm requirements uh, that ETF and the state puts upon us uh, as a big umbrella. Within that, there's a lot of different things that fall under that that umbrella. So firearms maintenance, uh, gunsmithing activities. Um, you know, uh, we have a lot of different groups that use firearms for different purposes. Uh, Vortex Edge, our new products development, T&E testing for, um, you know, how durable the scopes are, things like that. Right. Marketing. So there are a lot of things that the firearms are used for here. So a lot I, of gun activities that. going on. A lot of activities. Here. A yeah. lot of gun activities. A lot of a lot of rules and procedures, specifically to that realm that you help keep us in line with. And, and more to come, unfortunately. <laughs> Come on, Larry. Uh, and that's the other part of my job. It's very difficult um, to be the in-between guy between ATF and my teammates. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> and, and as we speak, somebody <laughs> is probably, you know, uh, oh, you, got, you know, it's, uh, be, it's free country, do whatever, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, that's really great when you're not, you know, a business with a tremendous amount of liability. To exactly. Well, Larry and I were even, you know, pre-podcasting before you got here, Jim, and, and we're talking about how we're going to try try which is difficult to stay away from the um the argument of why you should even have to have these things right because just at this point you do it, yeah that's not the that's right that's not I, the point of what we're having a, a discussion podcast. about today yeah i mean maybe if we're in you know the interest of if we want to if we want to c- complain for an hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah or more it's also woven together that it's hard to talk about one thing without talking about the others but yeah okay well so so you know some people out there are interested in knowing you know how to navigate 
all of the rules and regulations and all that stuff around some of this stuff that probably never even should have had a rule or regulation around it in the first place. But um, like we said, let's stick to uh, let's stick to the e forms and such. So when you let's talk about a little bit of background about this because when you one goes to get a an item that requires a tax stamp and a special application process for it, like a suppressor, or I think this even, does it also apply to SBRs and all that stuff? SBRs, too? AOWs, machine guns, okay. destructive devices. Yeah. Right. So when somebody goes to get something like that, like I mentioned before, there's this kind of application process you have to go through. And then also there's a tax stamp that you have to pay. Now, for a long time, people, that's still the part that people dread, I would say, more so than anything. But for a long time, people dreaded it, especially because there was this enormous wait time. It was a super analog process. I mean, you were having to fill out Mark. You were having to fill out a great deal of papers and things like that. And I mean, this is all, at least from, from my point of view, you had to fill out a bunch of papers, sign a check, send it off, and then, uh, you know, wait forever, months, sometimes a year plus, while they were essentially trying to get to your stuff. Um, and then in recent times, we've heard about these e-forms. Supposedly, it makes the wait a whole lot shorter. But that, I'm, I'm very much giving the 10,000, 30,000 foot view of it, right? So, Larry, can you give us some background about what, what all is going on here? Well, um, even as far back as like 2004 or 2005 when e-forms first came out, I think it was around there, um, Mark and I were talking about a story that I had with it. Uh, it was actually pretty nice at first. I had submitted about 22 applications for uh, suppressor transfers. Uh, about a year went by, though. Well, before that, uh, it shut down about two weeks later. The system just couldn't handle it. Oh, so they had e-forms. E-forms has quite been a, while a long ago. time. Yeah, yeah, this isn't the first uh, the first go round. Apparently, <laughs> now was that just was that a volume thing? It it certainly was, and at that time there may have been thirteen examiners that were in charge of approving applications for all different types of transfers throughout the country. So there really was many people working for the NFA branch to begin with. Hmm. So they were just getting overwhelmed, uh, but then the introduction of the e-form system was supposed to speed that up even back then. So once that happened and it crashed the system, they shut it down. Well, the 22 applications I was able to get in at that time, uh, about a year went by and uh, still heard nothing, called to check on the transfer process because I'm a pretty patient person. I'm not one of these people like many these days, and you know who you are, <laughs> uh, we're always calling, asking, is it approved yet? You know, have you heard anything, you know, any variation of that? And, you know, back then, again, not having many examiners to approve these applications, they were actually answering the phones. So every time they had to pick up a phone and answer, no, your application is still pending. They're not doing their work. Right? Yeah. So it's still today a perpetual problem. But at least today they have someone quarterbacking those phone calls. And that person takes care of the request right there. If they need to afford them to the examiner, they will. Uh, but typically that person quarterbacking can take care of it. But anyway, so I call and check on it a year later, and they have no record of that those transactions having occurred. 22. 22 now, of them. In this, yeah. in this case, you were an FFL, and so Correct. these 22 were on behalf of other people, Correct. too. So it's not just you. You're having to be patient for your own 
yourself and your own business, yeah. but then you're also having to try and relay this to, yeah. to a bunch of other people. Yeah, who wants their stuff now? Yeah. yeah. And it's still, nothing has changed with that regard, but... <laughs> <laughs> 20, 20 some years later yeah, or whatever. People are yeah. still the same. Yeah. But, um, and you use the word transaction, though, because there is like a cost. So people, I mean, not only did you go through the process of, you know, submitting these e-forms, but like you paid some money there, too. Yeah. Or so, you or the, the customer. Yeah. Did. So the customers pay the transfer tax, although the ATF, the way they have it worded, specifically, it's responsibility of the transferor who pays that tax. But... Eventually, there were some uh, rule changes within the ATF that specifically said, since it is a private tax document, the transferor was the one who was responsible and could only access that information. Uh, but in the end, they ended up changing it to where they, they, as the ATF, saw it as a joint filing between those two individuals hmm. or those two entities and allowed both people to be able to request information on that transfer process. So, um, and I can remember clearly, you know, they would have this transaction number, for example, once you submitted your application. And I thought, oh, I don't need to write that down. You know, the pay.gov transaction number. Well, it ended up being a problem a year later. (laughs) (laughs) So even today when I'm submitting forms like I was yesterday and I see those numbers, uh, at first I was writing them down, uh, but I'll get back to that. Um, so I get a hold of ATF, and they don't have any record of the transactions happening. And they asked for the credit card, you know, pay.gov numbers, and didn't have that. So basically, I ended up having to go through my credit card statements from a year ago oh. and submit proof that I paid these tax stamps, uh, request a refund, and then resubmit all those applications, which for those individuals, I mean, they'd already waited a year, so it wasn't a good time. Uh, I think I was able to get those applications expedited, though, so that was the good news. Mm. Um, But in the end, I had to pay the tax stamps again while waiting for that refund to come in, which at that time took about two months for whatever reason. So that was, you know, I think $4,400 or something like that. So Yeah. So, yeah, it was an experience. That was the first eForms experience. So fast forward to today, the whole idea of it is to expedite the transfers now the dealers are more responsible for inputting all of that data versus an examiner taking a paper copy and importing it into a digital version right yeah. that was the thing that i remember you talking about e-forms now you almost have to try and uh release some of your bias that you have because you've been having to deal with this new system where you are the one having to put in all the information. So you, you, I come into Larry's office this one day thinking, oh, man, Larry, we got that fingerprint thing. We got e-forms now. It's going to be a breeze. Let's start transferring some suppressors and stuff. And Larry's <laughs> like, well, I can pretty much only handle like two or three a day with all the other stuff I'm doing here because like it's just tedious as I'll get out, apparently. It, it really is. Um, and the interesting thing is at the beginning of eForms, and with the many things ATF, and a lot of people know this, you'll ask one investigator, inspector, uh, agent a question, and you'll get one answer, and you ask another, you'll get a whole other answer. So I had called the NFA branch about uh, digital fingerprints and asked, well, we don't have a digital fingerprint scanner. Can we still submit hard copy prints? And they said, oh, no, no, it has to be digital. So right there, we were already dead in the water. Anyone who didn't have a digital fingerprint scanner, and they cost, you know, $4,500 and up, right? So 
Um, anyway. And is that only, like, if you were still submitting a paper form, the regular fingerprints would work. The hard copy would work. But with, if you're submitting an e-form, it has to be digital. Well, that's what they told me. Oh. So <laughs> I go out and I spend the company's money to, you know, get a digital fingerprint scanner so that we can expedite these applications because we have a lot of them. <laughs> and uh, turns out you can still send a hard copy. Matter of fact, when you submit the electronic transmission, uh, there is a cover letter that's included in an email that you're supposed to include with your hard copy fingerprint cards if you're sending those in. So, again, misinformation right from the get-go. Hmm. And, you know, I try to be understanding because I understand the workload that they have, uh, but at the same time, you know, poorly executed. Because well, for something that's, like, so incredibly regulated, like you'd think that they'd have the, the regulations, yeah. the rules. You, you, one but would think. Anyway. It, it's been that way for a very long time. I, I've spoken to previous directors of the ATF, and each one of them, every time they get in, they think they're going to make it make sense and try to make change and make it more streamlined, and it's like the impossible, apparently. Oh, I know yeah. it would make a lot of sense and be streamlined. You just let people buy suppressors and SBRs and stuff Jim, like we said normal, it. regular Americans. I know. We said we weren't going to do it, but I had to do it. It was it was up there. It I'm was glad a, you did. We were it all, was a softball talk. It's too I mean, easy. We are all mean, thinking it. Yeah, it's too easy to do. Uh, but uh, but it is, uh, the more I'm using it now, um, it is getting a little more... Um, a little more practical, but there's still, depending on the in individual situation, if it's a trust, how many co-trustees that person has yeah. within their trust is an individual. Um, they can take anywhere from 15 minutes to a few hours to do one application. Oh, man. Yeah. So the big thing, so you're kind of giving, you're pulling back the curtain a little bit for what it's like for, obviously, in your case, you work for Vortex, and, and so you're not, you're kind of like a dealer in some yeah, ways you have to are. deal with the yeah. same stuff that a dealer would have to deal with uh that people can walk in and go to um they also of course have to be going to the right kind of ffl because it has to be an sot also correct correct, correct. so Should we um, just, let's do a couple definitions here yeah so i think i we either did or didn't mention nfa which is the national firearms act mm -hmm. which these items fall under under right. yeah larry it, listed them out before it was suppressors sbrs aows sbs machine guns machine guns destructive devices okay you know. more things that probably were a lot of acronyms going on there short barrel rifles short barrel shotguns yeah we got the uh i mean I what was remember. the aod again aow oh, any, right. any other weapon any other weapon that's right um and then an sot special occupational taxpayer yeah. okay okay and there's different types of those Right. Oh, there's different types. Yeah. So you can be like uh, a type two, which is a manufacturer, uh, type three, which is normally where the class oh, three yeah. idea comes from, but it's actually uh, a type of license. There's types of FFLs and types of last licenses, and um, that's the difference and what you can do within that license. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got to go to when I was getting. You got to go to somebody who's an FFL and an SOT in order to to get one of these things. But the thing is for for you know regular joes and janes out there who are going to these dealers to purchase one of these nfa regulated items the thing about e-forms is that for them it's at least supposed to be quite a bit shorter right 
Yeah, it's the wait time. It's supposed to take between sixty and ninety days. I think as of maybe even this week, the first couple of them have been approved allegedly, uh, but that's to be expected. It just started a few weeks ago, right? So there probably wasn't much to do to get a couple of them out. Yeah, uh, and you know they say to eventually the form for applications that are done by paper will eventually be about the same time frames. Oh, so by doing e-forms, they're kind of reducing their paper load. So then, in, in theory, whether you go e-forms or paper route, it might be about the same amount of time. Exactly. This is. I'm, I'm going to throw some air quotes out there. And yeah. All that stuff. Last yeah. year, during the uh, during a, a conference I had with the NFA folks, uh, they were basically splitting their resources half to paper and half to NFA. So um, that's the way they saw to do it. Versus hiring a bunch for one purpose or the other. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine now the paper ones are really going to slow down, right? Because half of their workforce got shuffled over to the other side. To e-forms? Correct. Hmm. But with the e-forms, with the dealers inputting most of the information into the system, that's what's speeding it up, really. Okay. And if your application has an error within it, if somehow it makes it through the process, because they did, and we can get into that in a little while, they did actually install some safeguards that would prompt you if something is missing or if there was some type of problem within the e-form application. Um, but if it makes through that and there's still a problem, your application just simply rejected. There is no error letters sent out as with the paper form. Sometimes, if you're lucky enough, your dealer would get an error letter saying, hey, this needs to be corrected. Correct it, send it back to us, and you don't lose your place in line. We'll approve it, and then you're, you're good to go. Well, I sure wish they would have done that for me when I sent in all those uh, applications for SBR lowers and I accidentally put multi for the caliber. Yeah, that was like a big point of contention, though, because uh, of a number of reasons, but not E-Force related. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so now your application just simply rejected and you got to start over again. But they do let you know that it was rejected, right? Yeah. But you just go to the back of the line. Yeah, so that's the other thing about this new system is it's supposed to be more informative for the end user. So you, they're notified as soon as the application is submitted. They've got all those numbers I was referring to, their control number, the pay.gov number, and then there's a third. I can't recall what that is right now. Uh, but you're just more informed along the way of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, you submit your application by paper, and you don't hear from me until it shows up. Yeah. In, in the perfect world, because, again, you get back to those people that are calling every couple months, hey, have you heard anything? And by the hundreds, and you just get kind of worn down, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so. yeah, I, I remember that whole process. You send it in. It's kind of like sending a letter off to Santa Claus. You don't know yeah. if he got it. So and, the, then, and then one day, all of a sudden, just, boop, oh, it yeah. showed up. Yeah, what I tell people, the indication that it arrived is that you see the payment is either removed from your checking account if you submitted a check, or if you submitted a credit card, you'll see it charged on your credit card. Yeah. That's kind of confirmation they got it. Um, oh, interesting. So they're not actually, so when you, I, I assume that they were charging you up front. They no. do. Oh. Yeah. As soon as they get your application, that payment is processed. Oh. Not, not just before it's approved. So you you, you submit your money uh, or your application, they take your money and then- Oh, they're really fast at that, Mark. They, they're really efficient at that. Well, I shouldn't say that actually, because as it is right now, you submit your application to uh, a bank. It's the NFA, but it goes to a bank in Washington State, and then they take the money out, and then they send it all the way over to West Virginia, the application to start to get processed. So there's government efficiency. 
I'm I'm sure there's a, if I ever saw I'm it. Sure, there's a logical explanation for that. Um, okay, so you know that they've gotten your application when you when you see the when you see the, the funds. Yeah. Okay, but gotcha. you know, in the past too, you know, there's been any number of people who've lost uh, their checks. Not lost their checks, but ATF has lost their checks after they receive it. So then they'll send the application back, no payment received. That happened a lot. So then I started telling people, uh, don't send a check, or if you send a check in the memo line, write the serial number of your item that you're getting transferred. And then at least if it falls off, there's something to associate that check with your application. Oh, okay, got it. And that actually helped quite a bit. Well, they just write that in, like, the notes, the little Yeah, notes the little memo field. line. Yeah. 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 So it's actually good for something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Not what my buddy uh, Eric used to, like, back in the day when you did buy something for me, like, oh, yeah, I'll cut you a check for that. And then he'd always put special notes for me uh, yeah. for what the check was for. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Eric. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, but then, of course, the other issue is if you run into something like uh, somebody else just ran into here is you submit a credit card, then your credit card gets frauded and you got to cancel your credit card, then that Ugh. creates an issue. It does happen. Or your credit card expires by the time they get to your application. Yeah. <laughs> Which has happened. I can yeah. imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. So it's a it's a tricky business. Yeah. So between the two, we have right at least, now- But at least now if you submitted it, they take it out right away when you submit your e-form. Okay. Because you're standing there while I complete the application. Uh, you enter your PIN- and, and we can go through the whole process, but you're there. That's when your card gets charged. Let's go okay. through that process. Like, what? Like, if a person's trying to visualize, like, okay, you know, I think these e-forms are going to make it. They're going to simplify things. They're going right. to expedite things. I'm going to do it. Or you know, maybe I bought suppressors before, before but I want to do it this way. Or maybe I've I've not gotten one because that was just kind of like a barrier I didn't want to deal with. What What does that look like? I, Larry, I want a suppressor. Help me out. Yeah, so the way I, I do it, at least here in, in another business, is that um, I try to do all the work in front before the customer actually gets there. So once they've decided what suppressor to get, we get it in. It's here. We have It's in our NFA inventory, which is uh, visible within our eForms account. And so it's here. They figure out if they're going to use a trust or put it in their name as an individual. And then uh, from there, I will do all the paperwork on my end, get it all ready within eForms. So I go through that process, and as soon as I have that ready, they'll come in, and then I'll do the final step, which is simply to uh, upload the payment information. And uh, we both sign and submit the form, and that's pretty much the it on their end. But that's me doing a lot of the work. Where does the fingerprint side come in? Yeah, so sorry. Is that when they also come in for the payment? Yeah, so uh, I try to do it then at the same time because then it's just one little element that I have to add electronically. Mm. Um, here it's a, a little different because, you know, I can call people in different times to do different things. But sure. I'm, I'm trying to still develop a, a more smooth process of how to do this. So they'll come in and I'll get their fingerprints. That actually provides me with a lot of their personal data that I need to input into the system. So it's looking like that's probably going to be one of the first steps that I'll do for people is get them in, get their fingerprints, decide if they're going to do a trust or not. If they're going to do a trust, we'll get that situated. If they're going as an individual, I'll have all that information Mm -hmm. that I can populate the application process with. Uh, Upload their fingerprint uh, electronically, if they're doing that, 
Uh, but if your dealer isn't doing that, again, they can take hard copy prints or you can bring in your own. And then, um, yeah, pretty much you'll need a, still need a passport style photo. So you can do that digitally or um, you just get one taken and then get it scanned in. But if you're doing e-forms, it has to be uploaded electronically. Mm, okay. And we've format. confirmed this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Would yeah. um what about like uh, the new real ID or the new driver's license would that that doesn't count? has no effect at all. Okay. Doesn't do enough. There was, was once a time when if you were doing the whole trust route you didn't even have to do the fingerprints cuz trust ain't got fingerprints if you know what I mean. Oh. And now you do. Which yeah. So it's interesting you bring that up because during that time period uh Man, and it escapes me now what, what they called that uh, particular part of legislation. Um, but anyway, when that was happening, ATF NFA branch got flooded with applications because all those people with trusts now were going to have to submit photos, fingerprint cards, and responsible persons questionnaires for all the people within their trusts if they were to buy any other items past 41F is what it was called. Right. Um, so... I mean, literally, there were semi-truckloads of applications. And that's the times <laughs> when it pushed it out past 14 months Yeah, for some of those. so That's got to be when you see that. Well, because, yeah, the trust, the trust route is no longer... I mean, it, it, was, it was back then. It was like, oh, this is the way to go. You got to yeah. do a trust. It's so easy. And then all of a sudden, when they change it, everybody was like, the trust is not the way. The no, it's not the way. Well, and it's, <laughs> it's not true. It really depends because it, 41F actually took away the law enforcement... Um, request portion of it it oh. changed it to a notification because before that you actually had to go to your local clio your chief law enforcement officer either within your city your state or sheriff's department you know it depended on what state you're in um and get a signature stating that you can actually do this mm -hmm. with a trust uh, at that time you didn't have to do that at all oh okay, okay. Gotcha. but as an individual you did so the trust was a way for people to get around that or circumvent it because their Clio wouldn't sign the forms. Yeah, in some cases that is, it depends on where you're at. Exactly. Um, you know, if you've got if you've got somebody who's yeah, sort of cool with that, you know, but yeah. right. some people aren't. Yeah. Larry, what about, so for, for this person, they've come in and you said, you know, they identify whether they want to file as an individual or, or a trust. I guess what what's the difference? Why, I guess... Why would one choose one over the other, or do you have a preference of like which one makes more sense? I personally kind of like I like to trust because it gives you more flexibility for future uses. So with a trust, it's the only vehicle currently that allows you to allow others to be in legal possession of the firearm uh, while you're living. Okay, so if um, if you've got brothers, friends, family, whoever you want to be able to loan that to, to take hunting, mm -hmm. recreational shooting, whatever, the only way to facilitate that is through a trust. And you add mm -hmm. them to your trust as a co-trustee. Uh, depending on how the trust is organized, because there's many types of trust as there are lawyers, because they're the ones who are setting them up, uh, how it's worded, how easy it is to add and remove co-trustees varies widely. But it does get, at least give you the ability to do that while you're living. Uh, so that's the main benefit is while you're living. Mm -hmm. Allow others to have access to, the, access to them and use them. Oh, okay. I got confused. I thought it was the other way around. So the trust is still pretty legit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, way to go. Uh, okay. However, so uh, 
So with that trust, uh, it also gives you the ability to identify who you want to bequeath those items to. So it lists out your beneficiaries. Uh, a lot of a lot of people don't have um, you know wills set up right now, things like that. This specifically names people because with the ATF, it's a, if it's immediate family member that this is being transferred to when you die or become incapacitated to where you can't possess it anymore. Uh, they'll typically allow you to transfer that tax-free to that individual, okay? Now, if the person isn't immediate family and are not named in a legal document, trust, uh, will, uh, then they would have to pay that $200 tax stamp to transfer it from the person who is incapacitated to that individual. Now, within a trust, though, or will, if they're specifically named, ATF will still honor that and transfer it tax-free, Okay. Even if they are outside of the immediate family. Oh, okay. So that's the other advantage, right? Oh, like yeah, my best friend Bob, he'd really like this. I'm going to put him on the trust and. Yeah, as of now, you, when you list him in the trust, it doesn't have to be as a co-trustee. So that's a different thing than a beneficiary. Right. Okay. Oh. So the co-trustee is a person who can legally possess it while you're living. Gotcha. Okay. The beneficiary, if you just have them listed as beneficiary, they can't be in possession of it on their own. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. I remember you and I were talking about this a little bit. I think we had a conversation when we were talking to Silencer Shop, too, about this mm-hmm. a little bit uh, as well. But um, it, let's say I wanted to get, oh, I don't know. Let's say I wanted to get four different suppressors, and I wanted to do this trust route. Now, some people say, uh, and I think I even had this conversation with you at one point, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it would it would be beneficial to make four trusts and put one suppressor in each trust rather than one trust with four suppressors in one trust. Or am I... Well, you can certainly do that. So now we're getting back to the uh, the other point we were going to make about having other co-trustees. So within a trust, it, once you first start it, you can decide to just put yourself in it as the only responsible person within the trust. Okay. Uh, later on, you can always add co-trustees. The ATF specifically points out that people should not be holding off putting other co-trustees in the beginning. Uh purposefully to circumvent um, the background check process for those other co-trustees, okay? However, I mean, it happens all the time. You, you make your trust, and you're the only responsible person, but later on you get married, you have kids, or you decide you want Uncle Bob to use the suppressor. Depending on the trust and how it's organized, you can add that person as a co-trustee and allow access. Then they're not required to submit photos, fingerprints, and a responsible person's questionnaire. However, up front, if you create a trust or have one that you've used before and you've got multiple co-trustees, now the paperwork's flying, okay? Got it. Because each one of those co-trustees has to have fingerprints, a passport photo, and a responsible person's questionnaire. Uh, I'm currently working with someone now. I mean, they've only got, well, total there's four responsible persons in the trust. And it's, it's, it's a lot of paperwork. And there's like nine different suppressors that we're transferring so you multiply you know that's 36 different documents just on the responsible persons questionnaire alone that i've got to complete so it gets daunting and this all this documentation this is part of the e-form correct yeah all of that has to be completed and then uploaded not only completed but some of it actually has to get printed off signed physically then i have to scan it back in and then upload it. <laughs> oh, so we were moderate enough to get e-forms, but not to use a an e-document sign. Yeah, so <laughs> ATF does have uh, 
an avenue for that, but you have to request a variance to accept uh, digital signatures. So, that, okay. yeah, stuff like that's in the works, but yeah. Okay. Jim, my dreams of this being so simple yeah. have been well, and on your end, squashed. Again, yeah, yeah, I think for the regular, for the yeah, person coming in, yeah, it's reasonably It, it is oh, reasonably easy. easy on your end. On the dealer's end, and that's the big thing. So we took the workload off the NFA branch, which is great because they can move forward now and process them, but they kind of increased the work on our end. So it'll be interesting to see if the market adjusts for that extra work that the dealers have to put in right? Uh, to kind of compensate for that because now they're still making their 200 bucks, but the dealer's still making the same amount of money for more. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's I'm following. burning his time trying to get that all sorted out. I mean, yeah, hmm. and, and we were already doing a lot of it to begin with. So and it, it's still in the early stages really to see like how actually how much more is it going to be? Yeah. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm thinking it's not much more, but you know, when you're doing lots and lots of these things, it adds up. I bet. Well, we just discussed in terms of transferring a suppressor, an already manufactured suppressor. So not one, you know, you're not trying to make one by yourself or something, which remind me which form that is. The, to make it by yourself is a Form 1 application. Okay, but if we're if we're transferring one that's already... That's a Form 4. Form 4, mm-hmm. okay. Now, if you're going to take a, you know, AR-15 lower that you bought, uh, when you bought it, it was a just regular rifle lower, and you want to turn it into an SBR, a short barrel rifle, uh, so you could put a short upper on it and still use a buttstock, all that good stuff. That's the Form 1. One. Because you are, in, in, in essence, manufacturing Correct. a short-barrel rifle, right. even though you're just clicking it yeah, up. Yeah, they, they say it. you're the maker of the firearm. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Form 1s also have any form as well? Yeah, they do. Um, so the other side of this with the fingerprints, uh, so with the E-Form 4, again, that's for dealers only. So we'll, we'll get back to your Form 1. I just want to make the point about with a Form 4 application, individuals cannot do an e-form for even if it's within state transfer so if you've got a silencer you want to sell which a lot of people think you can't do once it's yours it's yours i've heard that said before but in reality you can always sell it there's just not much of a big much of a market for that sure there's there's not really an advantage because why would i want to get a used suppressor and go through all the crap i have to go through if i just bought a new one well there are reasons like if it's a unique suppressor which there are several now that are super hard to get so that would be a good reason okay or you're getting just such a good deal on it someone's moving out of state and they can't take it to that particular state or whatever the reason may be uh but if it's a good deal sure yeah go through the process but um so you can do that within a within if you live within the same state of the transferer and the transferee live within the same state you can do that via paper only uh e-form fours as of right now Individuals cannot make those transfers. It has Mm. to be by paper. Um, Dealers can make those transfers in UZ forms with electronic fingerprints. Okay. Now, if you get into the Form 1 side of things where individuals are making firearms, um, they can still e-file that, but they have to send in only a hard copy of the fingerprints. You cannot upload a digital fingerprint. Oh, yeah. you, so, okay. as of right now, at least I, I foresee it coming. So you go somewhere and you get your digital fingerprint file. Right. So now you've actually got it. You've paid them to take your f- fingerprints and you've got your file. Only you can really it's just a file to you. You can't open it up and do anything with it. It's a specific uh, format type called an EFT that the FBI uses so that it can't be manipulated and changed. Oh. 
Sure. So hmm. when you get it, it's just a file. You can't do anything with it. Um, You're not going to like open it up and be like, hey, let me look. I'm going to look yeah. at my fingerprints. Is exactly. EFT, isn't that the thing where you got like a picture of Dwayne Wade or something like that? And it's an EFT and it's worth like a gazillion dollars. No, that's an NFT. Dang it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, which is different than the NFA. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but in the future, hopefully, when you get that file you've paid one fee for, you'll be able to upload it. Uh, but as of right now, you have to submit the hard copy of the fingerprints. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So you can file that Form 1 application, print off the cover letter I'd mentioned earlier to submit with your fingerprints. Right. That way they can attach it with your application. Right. Now, when you get when you get a hard copy of fingerprints, you got to go somewhere to do that. You can't just do, like, the homebrew you, fingerprint. You can. Like, oh, I did it on a loose-leaf piece of paper, or can I? Well, you can, but it's got to be on the FD-258 Federal, okay, it's got to be like the, the right card, on the, card on the correct thing. card. Okay. And on that card has the ORI information for the ATF specifically. Every agency, uh, law enforcement agency throughout the country has their own ORI number and information. So a lot of times if you go to a police you know, station or a sheriff's department and you ask for cards, they'll give it to you, but it's got their ORI information on it. ATF will send it back because it doesn't have their info on it. So oh, wait, when wait. you're there... Yeah, so if you're at, like, the sheriff's office, they yeah. print your cards off. Unless you give them the ETF ORI information to enter on that card before they take oh. it or print it off, it, it won't be the correct card. Okay, yeah. got yeah. it. But you can How take you your, get You would ask the sheriff's department then to, pr- to, to modify it. it like, right. To modify it, yeah. okay. So some of them are taking, you know, digital prints, and then they can change it within their system. I can tell you a lot of them, they're just there taking prints. They don't know how to change the ORI or any of that information. But just be aware of it. If you do that, make sure they have the ATF ORI information entered. Or and, and that's a single number. Yeah, there's a number, and then they've got the ATF address. Okay. What if the it. Sheriff's Department was like, screw off? Can yeah, you get it well, somewhere else? Y- you could, yeah. Oh, you yeah, can. there are places you can get that. Or you can just do it yourself. You can order the fingerprint cards for free from the ATF uh, what do they call it? The distribution center. Oh. And get the cards and roll your own. Roll yeah. your own. Yeah. Roll your well, own. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, actually, uh, easier said than done, So I say though. roll. Obviously, there's one part where you got to actually roll your prints. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, we know what you mean. Larry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, we're we're getting into some of the questions that are on the transfer forms now, you know. So right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Have you been rolling your own? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um speaking of like if you were going to do your fingerprints though, like it's not like the easiest thing to get a good print. It takes some practice. Um I've been doing it a long time. I come from a law enforcement background, so I was trained to do it initially, but then once you actually start doing it, uh-huh. which not all law enforcement officers do it because there are people who do that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like jail intake officers, things like that. Uh, but sometimes it can be very difficult. I've had even people here, you know, we're all built a little different, right? Different angles of fingers and everything. And what's really bad is you get through most of the fingerprint process. And in that very last one, they mess up. <laughs> Start and then you're like, all right, well, we're going to re-ink all your fingers. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a process. And with some people, it's almost comical to see, you know, the positions they get in to, to actually take them. And, <laughs> uh, but it's no easier with the digital system, believe it or not. Oh, Just been- yesterday, someone was making a comment that I thought this was supposed to be easier because... We just we just couldn't get the system to really accept them. And with this system, Dang. though, a lot of them actually grade their fingerprints 
So it's telling you, okay, this isn't good enough. So you get to a point where you can say, you know, I think that's good enough. I'm going to go ahead and accept it so you can do that. But it's chiming at you constantly saying that's not a good enough print. Don't ever let a, fin- a computer tell you whether or not your fingerprint's any good. Yeah. D- right. <laughs> I mean, I imagine, I guess you have the benefit of not having ink on your hands, right? Yeah, and the ink pads I traditionally use aren't bad. So in the early days, we had this, you know, ink you had to actually squirt out of a tube and then roll it out. Mm-hmm. That stuff was super messy. That's the stuff you wanted to avoid. Yeah. But nowadays, like, you can just get an ink pad, and it does a really good job, actually. Yeah. Okay. I wonder, right. wonder what, if I ever got into that, I wonder what the ATF would think every time I sent in a fingerprint. I, my fingerprints probably constantly change. Mark, you and I, because our fingers are always cut up. And I know. But yeah, the I think it always stays looking. the same, though, doesn't the it? Print, yeah, much? the print itself doesn't actually change. Yeah, the print, but I mean, if you're getting all that crap on, but you know. You, like, oh, yeah. yeah. You've got some noise, we'll call it, that ends up being distributed in there. But if you're missing a digit, there's annotations specifically for that, or if it's just damaged beyond really a print. You can make note on that card, mm. yeah, and, and that's fine. And actually, the bar is pretty low for fingerprints with the ATF uh, because of how the rules are written for ATF and how they're used. Yeah. They really didn't go into, like, how good they had to be or, or like, how they're going to be uh, processed. And that's what allows you to actually do them yourself okay. and oh, not okay. have to go to a law enforcement agency or someone. So, Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. At least that's one thing that they're, like, you know, I well, to. I think it, I don't. I wouldn't say that was intentional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with all the you know the particulars and ins and outs of what we have to deal with, the minutia. You know, who in the future, who's to say what's going to happen? But yeah. it, it, it's know, probably going to change. We didn't make these fingerprints challenging enough. We really need to up our fingerprint game, yeah. right? Well, if it ever came to it, if you think about it, I mean, someone could take someone else's and submit it, right? And how are they going to know the difference unless that person ends up getting caught for something or their prints are used in a crime, then it comes up. And, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why they shouldn't do it that way, but I'm not going to, you know, add to that pile. No. (laughs) No, the pile. It's already hard enough to do. The pile's pile's quite large and smelly as it is. I was going to say, and I think, yeah, what it's made of. Um... Looking at the looking at uh, some information that I printed off here, Jim, from our friends at the silencer shop. Going back to e forms here, you can e form you. I'll say you, but I don't mean you as the individual for all the stuff. And we covered some of this, but forms one, two, three, four, five, six, and nine. But like we talked about before, some of those as an individual you can, and some you can't. Yeah, so some of those forms don't even apply. Some of them are export forms and import forms. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, some of them I've never even heard of. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're for different purposes. Yeah, they're just different purposes. But believe it or not, even a, if you have something you know that was transferred to you as an individual, for example, and you want to transfer that back to a dealer, that's still a $200 tax stamp. I, w- I was thinking about this lately. It, it, it should be a tax-free transfer going back to the dealer but the yeah. atf right now it's it's considered a transfer and subject to 200 dollars transfer tax so we have to file a form four and wait just as long to get it from you as an individual to the dealer and why would i want to do that at some point potentially well it comes up like short barreled rifles typically in machine guns so an individual owns a machine gun either in state or out of state and another individual buys it mm-hmm 
So they have to transfer that from that individual through a dealer to get it into their state of okay. residence. Okay. That's a $200 transfer tax to get it to that dealer. And then they have to pay another $200 transfer tax and wait again to get it from the dealer to them. So that's a two-stamp gun right there. And that dealer, that is that in your state or is that Correct. in the state of the person no, nope, that's purchasing. a dealer in your state. Okay. Yeah. So and then they have to ship that to another dealer in that other person's state. No, to and that same dealer. So if I'm, if you're buying a silencer NFA item, we'll just say from someone in another state, mm-hmm. and they're an individual, they're going to have to transfer it from that individual to the dealer in your state. Okay. Okay. And, yeah. So once that's all approved, they'll ship it to that dealer, and then that dealer will start a new transfer from them to okay. you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So two stamps. Tell you what, if this whole thing, if this, if this were alcohol, we'd have figured out all this crap a long time ago. You we know, did. Something Jim, everybody actually. loves. We did. We did. Something everybody loves. But also something that probably kills way more people. But anyway, yeah. well, we were talking about that earlier. You know, the whole NFA, you know, started right after prohibition ended. So you'd yeah. have. It was, I think it went on. Prohibition went on for thirteen or fourteen years, and you know, of course, there was all the activity with gangsters fighting over territories and who's able to make alcohol illegally, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that's what, in my opinion, really brought to light the NFA. I mean, it, and whether we can thank prohibition, yeah, which pre- was really a stupid thing in the first place, how that ever, you know, and even in what, what was it? 18 in the 1800s, there was a tax put on alcohol. And as the ATF put it, it was unpopular, but yet it was required to generate tax revenue. So all this comes down to is revenue and taxes mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. ETF does say the underlying issue, they were, exer- they were exercising their ability to tax, basically. But the real purpose, and they're open about it, was to regulate these type of firearms in 1934. Mm-hmm. So, But again, coming off of prohibition of 10 years and... You know, Bonnie and Clyde and all those folks uh, shooting up the place. Well, I, and and Larry and I were talking about that. What's what I find somewhat interesting, or just interesting, is you've got you know these these events that are you know negative. You shouldn't shoot anybody, right? Uh, that are being sensationalized by the media, and then the government steps in and says, because of this, we're going to do A, B, and C for your safety. And I just I feel I feel like that's a reoccurring theme, Jim. You're not wrong, Mark. Was that a little much? I don't know. I know no. we said we weren't. We weren't There's we, those we weaves we were talking about. You, you said we not. weren't going to do these. You things. can't. Don't not. pull on the thread. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the sweater's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, what else you got on your pieces of paper there? I don't know, Jim. I mean, I feel like you know, like I said, Larry and I were pre-podcasting, and I was just so optimistic that this was just going to simplify it in my mind. It does, and and it 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 actually the good news is selfishly it does for me. You're more informed along the way, so it just doesn't drop into the abyss once you submit your application because that's the way it was until you heard from me. Now that's not true. You could actually call the NFA branch, right? Uh, They tried to give you like a buffer, like if it's been you know when you call you get this answering machine you know if you're a form for applicant and you've been waiting for you know more than six months you know press number whatever Uh if it's been less than that 
basically just hang, hang out. Hang out. Yeah. Don't bother <laughs> us. Um, so, but then eventually they got to the point uh, after that, there was that quarterback again. So you could call after a time period went by just to check, right? Just checking in. And I always say don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you could call and they would say either it's approved or pending. So, okay. but it's pending pretty much once they receive your application. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's all you're going to hear until it's approved. And then once it's approved, actually, a lot of people don't know this. They don't like via paper. They didn't have just a roll of stamps sitting there on their desk to apply to that. You actually had to request a stamp from a different division because they're accountable. They're worth two hundred bucks, you know, to the government. Oh, sure. So once they made that request and got that stamp, then they could put it on your application. And they would in mark or write your seal number across the stamp. It could take up to three months after they approve the application for it to arrive in the mail. Via you know whatever the pro- process was within mm-hmm. internally, it could take anywhere from you know a week and a half to three months. I've received them. Sometimes I've requested certified copies, which is a copy you can request if you either destroy your form accidentally, you lose it, whatever, you just can't find it you can request a certified copy from ATF. You won't get that ta- tax stamp back, uh, but you'll get a copy of that form, and then it'll have a like an ink pad stamp at the bottom saying certified copy. So I've requested those copies, get those, and then sometime later the actual real one will arrive. <laughs> so, And you can't make this stuff up. I mean, no. out of all the years I've been doing this, there's so many little weird things that have occurred like that that and you're trying to tell customers this you know and here our customers are our teammates right Mm -hmm. and they're just like you know kind of looking at you sideways and i'm like you can't make this stuff up right (laughs) right so and people are you know some people are up and i'm like government needs to make more jobs for us it's like oh well would you like to be the guy who is the guy who receives the request for a 200 hundred dollar stamp that's sitting on your desk and then you have nothing else to do other than to just try and send out that stamp to another person who really realistically should have been the one to send out the stamp in the first place but yeah there you can have that job where you can go work for you know a, a business that actually yeah. something <laughs> it, it's a it's a thankless job i mean there are lots of those in the world but um you know but you know that's their job you know they chose to do it and there are some people you know i tell people this a lot too within the the atf and the nfa branch i mean there are just as many people who are pro-gun as there are anti-gun so um some are you know trying to well i shouldn't even say that but you know there are both sides of the team there yeah. so yeah <laughs> Take that however you will. <laughs> going going back to, you know, hopefully you don't, but you, you lose your e-form or, or you know, but whatever, it gets destroyed, or you're, uh, excuse me, you lose, you've gone through the process, you've yep. got all your documentation, you're good to go, you got everything, but you lose your, I guess, your documentation with that tax stamp, whether it's because you, you lost it in a move, uh, you, you had a fire, whatever. What so you can request that copy, but you ultimately still do need like an official stamp, or that copy will suffice. That suffices. There That's what it's a certified copy. Okay, is what it says. Okay. So, so why don't why not just have a why do you need the stamp then? Well, so that comes back to again historically that was the monetarily issued value of that stamp. Okay, so it was like an accounting thing. Like, so when I was with uh, state parks, you know, we had park stickers, right? Right. You know, you have a a stack of them. Those are worth money 
So if you were missing one and you don't have the money for it, then it's like an, a, an accounting problem. Gotcha. Right? So same thing with the government. Okay. But with e-forms, you actually get a PDF document with a watermark of a tax stamp on the form. You don't actually get a physical copy. It comes to your... Actually, it comes to, eh, well, I don't know yet, actually, because we haven't gotten <laughs> one. Uh, but traditionally with a Form 1, it comes to the applicant's inbox, and that's your form. So you have it digitally. So you can print it out that's and keep nice. it with your item. You can, you got the electronic version. Obviously, you'd always print more out if you need it. As long as you don't lose that, you're okay. Uh, but now with e-forms, I think you could you might be able to even go into e-forms and see your approved forms. I believe it's there. So okay. on the left side of the screen, there's submitted, uh, you know, approved things like that. So that's yeah. nice. So, but if you're doing the, if you want the physical stamp, you're always, at least as of right now, going to have to do the paper route. And a lot of people do like to have those stamps. I think they're cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are worth money because, believe it or not, tax or not tax uh, stamp collectors actually like to have those. Because they're, it's a stamp that's right. kind. I won't say rare, but I mean, could be you know kind of rare. Yeah. Depending yeah. on, and again with that type of firearm serial number written across, let's say it's something that's not manufactured anymore or whatever. It, you know, maybe more valuable to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if I get, but if I give my real stamp to a stamp collector, well, that's if you get rid of it. So let's say you sell your item or whatever. Now you've got this approved form four that's pretty much void now. But you've always got that. Okay, got it. You could sell that stamp off of that form or give it to your kids or whoever. Um, but I'd, I th- I th- I'd pick my most important letter and mail it. <laughs> well, yeah, that wouldn't count. They, you, the post office would actually... You'd be like, where's my 79 yeah, cents, exactly. Mark? They would I'm want, like, this is $200. This will cover it. <laughs> yeah. It should cover all my other ones, too. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't work like that. But uh, I think, though, they should send a stamp because you've paid for it, right? It is accountable for them. Yeah. They've got a stamp. I think that should get sent to the, the individuals. Yeah. I wish it was really big. Well, they are. I mean, they're not small. I should have brought one today, but, you know, they're, they're I mean, not like, small. They're not like a post. I mean, they're kind of designed like a postage stamp. Um, but, yeah. I want one like that big. Oh, not that big. You could blow one up, I guess, and, you know. Sure. But, yeah. And interestingly, you know, they're specifically colored. So the AOW stamp is kind of a pinkish red color actually whereas the uh regular like form four suppressor uh machine gun you know type stamp they're kind of a green Hmm. green shade interesting so yeah so the the form is the same essentially but the stamp that you get for the specific time of type well, of item a, is different. It's a different uh, fee, though. So with AOWs, it's only a $5 fee, $5 tax stamp fee. Oh. Can you give an example of some AOWs? Yeah, so uh, we were talking a little about that. So if you've got a, a, Any pis- other weapon. a pistol. Thanks, let's Mark. Just, yeah. <laughs> well, we, hey, there's been a lot of acronyms thrown around yeah. today. Well, no, so we, are, we discussed that one already, I think, but... Yeah, so a, a pin gun, for example, things that fall outside the scope or description of those other short barrel shotguns, short barrel rifle, uh, machine hmm. gun, things that kind of fall outside those categories. So you've maybe seen these little wallet handguns. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those. It's got like a rimfire cartridge within a wallet. Oh, uh, a pin, oh I think a I've pin seen gun. something like that, yeah. But sounds also pin. something... Give me your wallet. Okay. Handgun sounds fun. Well, and that was the idea behind it, actually. Just going <laughs> to... But anyway, the uh, 
a pistol with a vertical grip on it would be considered an AOW. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. I knew I heard people talk about AOWs before. I couldn't remember what context. It has to be under 26 inches or something like that. And if it's over that, then you can put a vertical or... Yeah, there's lots of rules there. Each I would say it's each time you're going to... Like, don't quote build, me on that, anybody. Yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you're going to do something specific, you need to look at those particulars in that situation and see which category it falls within. Yeah. 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 yeah There's a using, lot of numbers, a lot of lengths that are required. And If you're using Jimmy Hamilton off the Vortex Nation podcast <laughs> as your legal uh, <laughs> counsel, then you've got some big problems. you got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at least they're having fun. Yeah. You know, well, but, yeah, that's yeah, true. That, it would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Just well, show up in court. They'll play the podcast. Oh, they see, you'll see right you here. Fast forward to 55 minutes and 30 yeah. 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 The last part I, I guess I'll leave you with is, if unless you have other questions, is so once you, uh, within the ATFE forums, you know, from the dealer side, you're looking at basically what they call a train stop. There's these squares, a line, a square. So at each point, there's something happening, right? Um, at the very end is when the individual is there to enter their PIN number, which is new. Because previously, before the launch of the new e-form, e-forms have been out for a long time. We've been doing dealer transfers for a lot of years with e-forms, and it's worked very well. Um, but now, the individuals were required to kind of update their accounts. When you first logged in again after the launch of e-form 4, you had to set a PIN number, and that's basically your digital signature. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So ATF wanted you to do that because again there's that point at the very end where you're digitally signing everything's true and correct etc entering in your pin number um, but at that point they really wanted to make clear that you weren't to provide that information to your dealer okay so the dealer just couldn't be sitting there you know has your credit card info to enter and then your digital id i mean in a real world, that makes everything much simpler. The person doesn't have to be there, but it's a legal tax document. So hmm. they want the people to be there because they're answering questions, too. If you're filing as an individual, you have to answer all the normal questions. You know, are you fugitive from justice, et cetera? Yeah. So you've got to answer all of those. And then uh, at the very end, put in your information, your username for eForms, and then your PIN number. And then that digitally signs the form. And that's the end of it for you. So it's pretty easy, back okay. to your point, Mark, about on the, the individual side. Yeah, it's pretty slick, especially if you can uh, upload your fingerprints digitally. It works out pretty well. Cool. So, but even if you can't, if you want to do your own, um, you can submit them electronically. And that was another interesting point for all the dealers that I noticed. So we get copies of all the forms except for the Clio copy of the responsible person's questionnaire. So if you're doing this for your first time, um, that form is actually going to go to the applicant, the transferee, in their inbox, and they're supposed to send it to the Clio. But on my end, there's still the um, responsible person's questionnaire side of it to send. So really, you could bring that form to your dealer, I guess, and submit them both at, at the same time, or the dealer can just submit their their portion of it, and then the individual can submit their portion. And what's a Clio? Uh, Chief Law Enforcement Officer. Yeah. So that was the the one thing I noticed that was a little bit different. You, you have to submit a copy of the application to the Clio and 
a copy of the responsible person's questionnaire. So, hmm. so there's two documents you have to send to your Clio. But I, th- I would have thought the ETF would have at least sent the dealer a copy also of that Clio copy of the responsible person's questionnaire. Yeah. And the Clio thing is individual or trust? Individual or trust. It's a notification now. So it used to be, remember, that you had to request permission, basically. That, right. That went away with oh, 41F. Okay. Okay. Right. But now so sure. we have to notify them gotcha. is what it is, uh, of it. Okay. And why that is, again... You know, not many people were pulling one of those threads. Uh, stop and ask why, right? So in the 30s, right, there was no, like, national system where law enforcement was connected. You know, your local Clio pretty much knew if you were in trouble a lot or not is the way we'll put it. So they were giving them permission to purchase these items, right? Mm-hmm. So fast forward to today, I mean, we've got instant background check systems in place. The NIC system specifically for firearms transfers why Mm. the need for this notification is still there or even before 41f why we had to request permission that's still kind of a a holdover i think from the olden days Mm -hmm. that was just still never addressed yeah it's like well we've always done it that way yeah and some agencies just take these documents and shred them and they never see them again (laughs) though some and i know of many of them they actually keep a running file of these things and for what purposes does anyone's guess how they would use that information? So, will it ever be addressed? That's the question. Well, I don't Around know. For almost a hundred years. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think. I mean, we're pretty reasonable people as gun owners, most of us, right? So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, we don't really make a fuss because we're like, you know, that seems reasonable, but it's it's a death of a thousand cuts every time something. New yeah. rule comes up, we're like, well, okay, that's a compromise. We constantly compromise yeah. instead of standing up and saying, no, enough is enough. You know, the, the universal background check thing that they've been talking about for a long time now, uh, I mean, it's a good idea on its premise, but under the current way it would be done on the Form 4473, all the firearm information is there. It's basically a gun registration at that point because you can't transfer that particular firearm until – you know, you get permission mm-hmm. in a background check. But there, and there are ways to do it. I just don't know. I mean, I'd like to think that uh, someone else has thought of the ideas that I have. Uh, but, you know, I've had my own ideas about how to do it and run background checks on everyone before you do a transfer. But there's no record of the actual firearm recorded. Right. You're just checking that person. They can own it, give it to them, and move on. Right. I mean, it's just, it's... <laughs> Like you said, most gun owners are generally reasonable people. And when you think about it, if anybody who has a firearm, if they haven't even already obtained that illegally, in which case they're a criminal, right? and they probably have criminal intentions, when things go wrong, they're a criminal already. They're ne- like Nobody's ever somehow going to just be like, I'm a gun owner, I'm a very responsible citizen, I never do anything wrong except I only do things wrong with this gun. Like, you, you right. can't separate the two. If you're a criminal, you're a criminal. Like, right. it just is what it is. The 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 hoops <laughs> and the cost are only being attributed to the people who are following the laws. Right. 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 Pretty much, yeah. And, it, and, that's, and that's unfortunate because I think it's in... I'll say by and large. In yeah, 2020... I, uh, just Form 4 applications, I shouldn't say that, it was Form 1 and Form 4 applications, 
uh, I believe the number was $86 million in $200 tax stamps is what we paid in 2020. That's, all, all, that's a lot of tax stamps. Probably all got blown on... And you, well, and you so can't that, even use it to mail a letter. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, and that's interesting. It actually just goes to a general revenue fund. If it went towards something that we believed in, you know, purchase of public land for hunting, you know, similar to Pittman Robertson funds, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I I wouldn't care so much, honestly. Yeah. But it doesn't. It goes into just a general revenue fund. Mm. General, I mean, like oh, just the black hole. <laughs> and and maybe eighty six million dollars isn't that much to the government. Probably I mean, not. I don't know, but to me, I think look, think of what we could do with that money. Like as a, as a group of people who are interested in hunting and uh, just other things that we would want to put that money towards shooting. Yeah, or shooting ranges. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I mean, any number of things. Like you yeah. said, something as it pertains to the user group who is supplying that revenue. But again, mm-hmm. I mean, here we're pulling on all kinds of different threads that are a whole couple hour conversations in and of themselves and it's easy to do with anything ATF related well I'm slightly encouraged and also depressed at the same time yeah it's tough and (laughs) even just yesterday again another a guy walked in and we started talking about you know some of this stuff and it happens all all day guys are coming in and it's hard for me to take a break from it you know I live and breathe this stuff and uh and I, I really do love it and enjoy it um but at the same time, it's like I'm the middle guy, you know. I'm the middleman. There's nothing right. I can do it. Yeah. Um, our friend uh, down in consumer sales, uh, Ryan Muckenhern, you know the way he puts it. He's like, you know, you need a shirt that says like, Fed, but not a Fed, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, I have to enforce, you know, the regulations to make sure we're in compliance, and and that's a big part of what I do here is. Uh, making sure we're always in compliance. But at the same time, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what's there. It's just, it's there and we have to follow the rules. Uh, And the rules for us specifically as a dealer, you know, manufacturer are much different than even just a regular dealer or an individual, you know, and where people get into trouble uh, and Mark can attest to this is when you think you know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know, you know, because I think, right. it, it, I don't remember, it was like a, it was a muzzleloader incident we were dealing with one time where you thought it was a muzzleloader, but in reality it was a firearm, according to the Gun Control Act. Remember that? I'm trying to think why not. <laughs> At least the most recent muzzleloaders that I got were, they did turn out to be muzzleloaders. Yeah, those, but I think we weren't sure that they were muzzleloaders. Yeah, so the one or, before that, though, definitely wasn't. But anyway, my point is that uh, there are lots of rules and regulations, and they don't always make sense, and they may never make sense. But, um, yeah, consult someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, and who that is <laughs> can vary, right? Yeah. Because you have your subject matter experts who are supposed to. But I can tell you from my experience, you know, really you should consult the ATF uh, or someone who's been doing this a long time. Just because someone's good with firearms and um, maybe knows a lot about firearms doesn't mean they know everything about the regulations surrounding the firearms. So, right. So you got to be careful with it. But with all this e-form stuff, it's uh, hopefully going to be better and you know make it easier for us to get stuff. But again, I kind of feel like it's like dangling the shiny thing over here while they're still taking our money. You know, like mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to make it easier to take your money. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know. Yeah. So. 
that's kind of what it's about is tax revenue. So, yeah. Now they can more easily collect it. And on that yeah. positive note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least maybe it's a little easier and quicker to get your uh, suppressors and all that other good stuff. I mean, I, like, you know, like you said, I agree with what Larry's saying. It's the state of affairs as it is right now. It'd be like if you ordered a pizza and it generally takes, if, it generally took a month and and then now you get it the day of. It's like, well, I'm getting the same thing. I had to pay the same price, exactly. but I got it faster. Yeah, exactly. And you're more aware of what's happening during the process, mm-hmm. so how it's being made. I yeah. can't. <laughs> I can't think of a better time to finally use this button, Mark. <laughs> feeling that right now. That was that was a lot. Uh, that was a lot to unpack. A lot of acronyms. A lot of stuff. But I think the bottom line. Hopefully, we all know a little bit more about the process and hopefully uh, the process is going to continue to smooth out and be uh, I guess a shorter process a little bit more expedited a little more fluid let's we're thinking positive here and uh, luckily we have uh, folks like Larry who apparently uh, their workload hasn't decreased necessarily but it's taken the pressure off us yeah so uh, happy to help Thank your FFL yeah. and SOT. Love Give them a high five it. next yep. time you see them. Yep. All right. Well, with that being said, do we cap this one, Mark? Let's cap it, Jim. Bye, Bye everybody. Guys. There you have it, folks. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, give this video a like if you liked it. Comment something below and give us a subscribe to the Vortex Nation podcast channel. It would mean a lot to us. Also, why don't you give us a follow over on Instagram while you're at it, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you over there, and we'll keep you updated with all kinds of cool photos and videos from our adventures that we do here. Otherwise, we will see you on the next one. Thank you again. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody. Have a good one.